theyeshiva.net. So we're on page 96. The line starts, Lishma, column number one, Shir Hashirim. Ach, Masha Kosov, Masha Omar Ketzad Merakdin, Inyan Zemahu. But now we still need to address one more thing. Till now, the question was, what do you say to the Kala? According to Beishamai, what do you say? Kala Kamois Shehi. Every Kala, the way according, according to who she is. And according to Beishilal, you say for each Kala, she's beautiful and gracious. On a spiritual level, the Balatanya explained that it's two methods, it's two approaches to how to bring out the unconscious state of inspiration that every Jew has internally, how to bring it to the fore. Beishamai has his derech, based on Midas HaGvura, Kala Kamayi and Basil has his derech based on Midas HaChes. But what's this concept before that? Ketzad Merakdin. What's this union of dancing? What's the concept, spiritually speaking, again? Practically, we understand. You come to a wedding, at a wedding you dance. And you dance in front of the Chassan, and you dance in front of the Kalas. The question is, what is it that you say to the Chassan? What is it that you say actually to the Kala? That's the question. Ketzad Merakdin Lifnei HaKala. But what's the concept, spiritually speaking, this concept of dancing? In order to allow for the hischabrus, the chibur, the connection, the link between a groom and a bride, which by definition, the chassan and the kala are often two opposites. And opposites can end up in opposition to each other because they're different. They're very different. What's the difference? Achasin represents spiritually hamshacha, a flow. Hamshacha means a flow, like a hemshach. A flow that comes from above, down below, like water, which descends from a lofty place to a lower place. The Gemara says, Mayim yoridim Wherever you put water, if there's a chance for the water to slope down, it will find the lowest possible point, and that's where the water is going to reach. So it comes down from Makam Gavaya to Makam Namach. mashpia. A chasin represents the state of a mashpia, which means a giver. Who is mashpia, who gives milmaila from a higher space, lamata to a lower space. Vahakala and the bride is pchines mekabel, is a recipient, mimata lamaila. Going from a lower space towards a higher space, ascending. Kemavur Leil, as explained before in the Maimur, Shekali, Kolsanafshi. Kala represents spiritually the word Kols, like it says in, in Tehillim. Kolsanafshi, Lechatzris, Beis Hashem, Libi, Ufsari. Ufsari, Yiranenu, Elkel, Choy. So Kolsa is the idea of Kiloyoin, of yearning, of pining, of aspiring. A person aspires. So this is the, the Makabel, the recipient who wants to who wants to receive something, who opens themselves up to receive something from above. In other words, they ascend milmata lamayla. V'hu kadugmas ha'esh. The kala would be like fire. Sha'oyla belav gamken milmata lamayla. A fire by nature also ascends, always ascends. A fire is always rising. It's never just content in one space. It's oyla belav. A lav is a flam fire. A burning flame is called a lav. It ascends always from a lower space to a higher space. The fire is kissing heaven, it's swaying, it's dancing, it's always reaching upward. That's the Eish. 
So a chasen and a kala are like two opposites. Like the opposites, the paradox of fire and water. The chasen represents mayim, and the kala represents esh. So the question is, how can there be a hischabrus, a unity between two hafchim, two opposites? Because we know water and fire cannot coexist. One threatens the existence of the other. Either the water dominates, and when the water dominates, the fire will be extinguished, or the fire dominates, and when the fire dominates, the water, uh, the water evaporates and dries up and there's no water. To have water intact and fire intact simultaneously in the same space, it can't exist. One, t- one has to yield to the other. Either there's the bittle of the Mayim, or there's the bittle of the Eish. Chasen and Kala spiritually represent these two forces. The Chasen represents Mayim, which is in a state of descent. Mayim comes down, Malmaila Lamata. And the Kala represents Eish, which is in the other direction. It's Oila, Malmata Lamaila. It goes up Malmata Lamaila. So it's two different motions. It's two different experiences. It's two different realities. And the unity between them is l'cha'oyda, not possible, because they're two hafchim. It's not that it's two neutral things. It's two opposites. And because it's two opposites, so therefore, you have this challenge of how do you bring them together? The answer to this is, to have the unity of a chasen and a kala, despite the fact that they're opposites. Hainu razal. This is what the Chazal tell us. Al Pasik Oyser Shalom Bim Raimov. When we say Oyser Shalom Bim Raimov, who Yasa Shalom Aleinu. Val Kol Yisrael. So the Chazal say a very interesting comment on Oyser Shalom Bim Raimov. What is it? Bein Sar Shalmayim Chuli. Chazal tell us there's Oyser Shalom Bim Raimov, who Yasa Shalom Aleinu, Val Kol Yisrael means he creates Shalom in his heights. Miraimov is from the word Marim, right? Mimarim Yilamdu. In his heights. What does it mean in his heights? In other words, even among his own uh, close uh, comrades, if you wish, the Malachim, there's also conflict. And the big conflict between Malach Mechal and Malach Gavriel. Malach Mechal is a Sarshal Mayim, and Malach Gavriel is a Sarshal Eish. Malach Mechal is the Sar of Chesed, and Malach Gavriel is the Sar of Gvura. So the Mela. You need to have Oyser Shalom Bimraimov. He makes peace between Bimraimov, between Sarshal Mayim and Sarshal Eish. How? Hainu. Al Yidei Hamshachas Pchina Hayoyser Gavoya Me'erech Habeis. By introducing something that transcends both of them. You need to introduce something that is higher both than Mayim and Eish. Both Michal and Gavriel. Both the Chos and Kal. It transcends both. That's what he says, Gavoya me'erech habeis. It's above the value, the erech, the reality of both of them. As a result of this, both of them forfeit their ego. So they could come together. They can become equals. If you keep, if they maintain their own space, there's no way they can become equals because they will challenge each other to the point of one <coughs> obliterating the other, like fire and water. The only way they could really come together is if there is a space, a point, which brings them together. How does it bring them together? It's a point that they both surrender to something that transcends both of them, and it 
transcends equally both of them, and because it transcends equally both of them, both of them forfeit, they could surrender their individual ego to that larger reality that looms over them and transcends them, and in that space they could become one, they could unite, they can have hashra. And this is the whole concept of a chuppah. What's the concept of a chuppah? Ki al kol kvoid chuppah. This is a posik in Yeshaya. Yeshaya says al kol kvoid chuppah. Al kol kavod chuppah. There's the chuppah. The chuppah is a canopy. That's al kol kavod. It hovers over all honor, all respect. So he teaches who pchines hamshachas. The chuppah represents bringing forth a makif. Literally, a chuppah is a canopy that equally hovers over the chasen and the kala. It's not higher from the kala more than the chasen. It equally transcends both of them. They're both under the canopy. The chuppah represents an energy, what he calls here, Bringing forth makifim elyonim, the higher makifim, or known as soiv of kalalman. And this can bring together the chasin and the kalam. And that's why halachically, nisuyin, the ultimate unity between the chasin and the kalam, happens precisely through and at the moment of the chuppah. It's under the canopy that the chasin and kalam come together because the chuppah represents introducing a third transcendent component which is above, it hovers above the chasen and the kala equally, and in whose presence they can both lose their individual egos, and therefore the contention, the point of contention between them, and they can ultimately come out as a couple, as a united entity. You have here within a few lines, I don't know if you realize, you have here within a few lines, a lot. (laughs) A lot. About... uh, the psychology of men versus the psychology of women, the nature of men versus the nature of women, and if there's real hope for reconciliation or not. Or not. The first, the first very important idea is that men and women are different. It's something that people uh, in certain places have denied for a long time, only to their own disappointment. Because when you don't acknowledge differences, there's no way of creating real peace. Because if we make believe that we're one, so it works as long as we make believe that we're one. And then when we figure out that we're not, so then what happens? Real unity can only be achieved through acknowledgement of diversity. Understanding. Huh? Real understanding. Real understanding. It's even true within one gender, right? A good friend is not somebody, we're, we're, we're the same in everything. It's appreciating where there may be points of contention, where there may be differences, where there may be you know, variations or even absolute paradox, elements that are paradoxical, that are in clear contradiction. That's number one. That's why there's something called shalom bias. There has to be created shalom. Shalom is not something that uh, exists in a vacuum. Shalom exists in a place where there's potential for the lack of shalom. And the reason the potential for the lack of shalom is because you're dealing with two souls that are different. And not only different, as he says here, they're opposites. One represents Mayim, and one represents Esh. That's number one, to acknowledge that. And then to understand what is then the mechanism of bringing them, of bringing them together. Generally, 
Water and fire, we know, it's not easy to create shalom bayis between water and fire, because they're very different. Ash fire is very, very intense. It's very passionate. It's very heated. It's always yearning for something. It's never, Ash is never content. It's always yearning and craving and pining. You can't tell a fire, here you have everything you need, just relax. Calm down. Calm down. Try telling it to your wife. Okay? You'll see how far that gets you. Tell the fire, calm down. You have the logs, I have a good job, I'm home, I'm a great guy, I'm handsome. Really, tell the fire, why don't you just relax? So it's very hard for water to understand why fire never relaxes. The answer is fire is not supposed to relax, dumbbell. (laughs) Will you ever get it? Fire will never relax. Fire lives on restlessness. The moment fire relaxes, it's not good. It's Fire relaxes when it's gone, when it's dead. As long as sabrenta fire, it's not relaxed. The fire is always searching, always yearning, trying to kiss heaven. There's an essential yearning, and that's what gives it chiyos. That's what gives the fire energy. Woe unto the water who doesn't understand that. Woe to the water who comes to the fire and says, why aren't you just like me, a relaxed guy? So that's a very important idea. Now, essentially, there's Aish. That's the quality of Aish. Mayim has a very different quality. Mayim has its own, its own, uh, its own dynamics. To, now, to create the unity between fire and water, that's the unity between the Chassan and the Kala. The words used here about Mayim and Aish is Mashpia Milmaila Lamata and Mekabel Milmata Lamaila. So the fire always has within it a restlessness. It wants something more. It's searching for something. Like fire, you look at fire, you know, it looks like it's trying to kiss the heavens. It's dancing, it's swaying, it's movement, a movement that's known, you know, Ratzay Veshuv, it runs and it returns and it runs and returns. And that is its very, Reizan Dietra, that is its very chayas. Mayim, on the other hand, you could contain in one place. Of course, you can have a tsunami, and that's also quite dangerous when a man loses it. But water could be contained in one space, and more or less, the water is not like fire, it's more contained. Water also is a state, is concept of mashpia. It comes down. Fire doesn't come down, fire goes up. So here we have a description of two types, two models, two souls, two psyches, two personalities. How do Mayim and Eish coexist? Essentially, in a relationship itself, you have a relationship that's fire-like and a relationship that's water-like. A relationship that's fire-like is one that's very, very intense and very, very passionate. A relationship that's water-like is more cool, because water by nature could be very cool and cold. You can have a hot wellspring, but that's a chiddish. Naturally, water is much more cold. It's more aloof. That's why he says... Fire, water has to come down. It's yoyin, it has to come down. It could remain on its own up there, aloof. It has to come down. Aish is never, uh, is never aloof. Aish is, is, is passion. Aish is active. Aish is involved. Aish is close. In a relationship itself, you have a fire-like relationship, a water-like relationship. The difference would be, fire-like relationship is a lot of passion, a lot of heat, a lot of excitement, and a lot of intensity. 
then there's a water-like relationship. A water-like relationship is much more cool, it's much more calm, it's much more uh, rational. rational, it's much more cerebral, platonic. It would be like a relationship between friends, you know, who just, the Balatanya says elsewhere that it's a difference between sibling relationships and spouse relationship. A sibling relationship, even a good one, we're not talking about where there's fragmentation in a family, but it's more like water. In other words, it's something you can rely on, it's consistent, and it's more calm. A marriage, a spouse relationship, has an element of electricity to it, what we would call romance, passion, fire. Now, there's a mile in each, and probably most couples crave to have both. Everyone wants a water relationship, everybody wants a fire relationship. The mile in a fire relationship is, it's lebedic, it's a brent, it's a fire. The chesodin of a fire relationship is, it's intense. And therefore, when you fight, you also really fight. You know, when you get upset at each other, you really get upset at each other. In a water relationship, it's more like cool, it's more like friends, you know. You could just, uh, like siblings, you, it's not it's not electrifying, but it's there, it's consistent, it's common, it's reliable. Like a good business partner. You know, it's a, it's a, there's a stability to it, it flows calmly like water. And every couple wants both. They want to have that friendship that's just cool and geschmack and reliable. But they also want to have the passion and the intensity. The problem is that in life, there's no such a thing as fire and water coexisting. It does not exist. Fire and water cannot coexist. No person could change that. So the struggles that many people have in relationships is they want fire and water to coexist, but they can't. So here you have the brilliance of Torah. The Torah established that the way a marriage should work is two weeks out of the month is water and two weeks out of the month is fire. If you want to try to have the same time, fire and water, it's not going to work. Two weeks is the concept of fire and two weeks is the concept of water. That's the structure of halacha in a marriage, generally speaking. There's a time that a couple is together. And together means it's an opportunity for fire. But then there's a time that they have to create space. And that's the time for water. Two weeks you focus on the fiery relationship, and two weeks generally you focus on the water-like relationship, which is a relationship that's more about conversation, communication, understanding each other. There's a certain distance. It's more the focus of respect, understanding who you are as an individual, separate from me. Where Aish is a far more electrifying and intense relationship. And it's this distinction between fire and water that maintains the integrity of both relationships. Because without that, Mayim and Eish, either the Mayim is going to win over the Eish, or the Eish is going to win over the Mayim. That is the brilliance of the halachas of Taras HaMashpacha, family purity, which recognize this distinction. But here, he takes it even a step deeper. And that is, generally speaking, any type of relationship, to bring the Chassan and Kala together is already bringing water and fire together. And in order to do that, there's only one way eats, And that is, you have to have a Chuppah. The chuppah is not stam a symbolic thing. We go under a chuppah. What's the idea of a chuppah? Here we understand what a chuppah represents. A chuppah represents a transcendent force that is higher than the chasen and kala, and only here can both connect. Why could both connect? The answer is because when you have two individuals, and they have individual personalities, and their personalities are more or less the same, is wonderful. But what happens when you figure out that they're so different? His Meshugasim are different than hers. His shtick are different than her. 
His interests are different than hers. Their whole way of looking at life is different. The way they experience things is different. What they take serious is different. What they get excited about is different. What they get worried about is different. What they get anxious about is different. It's like, Mama, water and fire. What's the Eitzah here? He says, the only Eitzah is you have to bring in something that's completely beyond. And the Lushen is, What does this mean? They lose their personality, so they both become robots? So what happens to that marriage? Here again, Yisbatlum and Mitzayusim could be very misconstrued. Yisbatlum and Mitzayusim doesn't mean they become robots. They become robots, you didn't bring them together. You just killed both of them. <laughs> That's not called bringing people together. You crush two personalities and you, make, you turn everybody into a shmata. Of course they're united. I mean, you could get, marry a tissue box too. If you become a tissue box, so you could marry another tissue box. I mean, you could both become doormats. That's fine. Doormats don't fight. They're both just made to step on. Yisbatlum and Mitzayusim is actually a very profound idea in the sense that they both can forfeit the element of ego that doesn't allow the water and the fire to coexist. What does this mean? What it means is that what creates peace between a chassid and a kala, peace in a family, peace in a home, is even more or equally important Together with the respect that people have for each other, there's something else. And that is respect for the sacred institution of marriage that transcends both of them. It's not only I respect you as a person and you respect me as a person. There's something, because in that we still don't become one. I respect you, you respect me. What allows two to become one because that is the miracle of a marriage. The miracle of a marriage is, mathematically, one plus one equals two. One plus one equals two. You can't change that. And yet in a marriage, one says, or maintains, or believes, that one plus one should equal one. But that can't be. One plus one does not equal one. (laughs) One plus one equals two. How does one and one become one? It's impossible. Unless you bring in a third component that transcends one and two, and in that third component, the two distinct paradoxical realities can be synthesized. And in that synthesis, in that integration, from two, from many, you make achdus, you make one. Which is why, he explains elsewhere, Matan Torah was B'chodesh HaShlishi, the third month. The Gemara says in Masech Shabbos, Dav Peches, Brich Rachmane de Yahav Tlisai, Everything in Torah is associated with three. It was given in the third month. It's comprised of three sections, Torah, Nevi'im, and Ksuvim. It was given uh, after three days of preparation. It was given to Kayanim, Levi'im, and Yisraelim. Why three? The Gemara makes a point of saying that the marriage of Hashem and Knesset Yisrael happens in month, month three. Because you have month one is one. You have month two, so you have two. But now you have three. Three is like the chuppah. It's the third force, the thir- third component that transcends both of them. But in with both of them can unite. What does this mean in a person's life on a practical level? It means as follows. As long as a couple cannot transcend their own interests individually and respect the institution of marriage, the chuppah, so to speak, that transcends equally both of them. In other words, it's not only about me, and it's not only about you. If it's about me and it's about you, 
So then the relationship could be as good as the you and the me can work together. Now, sometimes they can work together impeccably. Sometimes they can't work together at all. And sometimes they have, you know, days off and days on. But what happens if there's an unwavering commitment to the marriage? It's not just to each other. It's to the marriage. It's to the reality of something called marriage, something called family, that is seen as a sacred institution in and of itself. The institution of marriage is seen as something holy, as something invaluable, as something sacred. In this space, both of them could become one. Why? Because they're both equal partners in maintaining the institution of marriage. If we're looking at individuals, we're very different. But what about the sacred institution of marriage? Here we're completely one. Because you may be giving to the marriage fire. You may be giving to the marriage water. But you're both indispensable in creating this structure, this chuppah, which transcends everybody individually. So therefore, in this process, two distinct realities can unite. And that's often a key issue when you're dealing with a relationship. Because when you have a situation where you have two people only focusing on their individual selves, so then there is a lot of room for growth and a lot of room for understanding. But you could never have this deep, absolute unity of Oysa Shalom B'miraimov. Why can't you have the Oysa Shalom B'miraimov? Because Sof Kol Sof, you are you and I am I. But when two people can come together and what they respect is the marriage institution, the marital institution, that is perceived as something absolutely sacred and its sacredness is unwavering and non-negotiable. So here what happens is differences actually become often a source of strength and differences become a source of unity because what's relevant here is not if you're different than me or you're not different than me. What is it that you're giving the marriage? It may be that the fact that you're so different and opposite than me is the best thing for the institution of marriage. That children have a mother who's not like the father is a blessing. And children that have a father who's different than the mother is a blessing. And the fact it would be like in a company, right? The CEO would want that everyone in the company should have exactly the same skill. It would be ridiculous. The whole success of the company is that everybody is different. You bring to the table your skill. I bring to the table my skill. So if the objective is, it's just about our personalities. So yes, we may have complete differences. But if there's a larger objective that transcends us, there's a bigger picture here. Call call it the institution of marriage or the chuppah, or as you want to call it, then it's the other way around. Then, if I'm not invested in maintaining my ego, then what you bring to the table for this institution is something that I cannot bring. So here we actually become one because this institution necessitates, it requires the, the input, the participation and the identity of every individual. So very often, very often, you, you wonder, why is it that sometimes couples just cannot get it together? We have a big society today, a very big secular society, where you have places that is 50% divorce, 60% divorce, 40% divorce. Those are staggering numbers. That means every other wedding you attend is likely to end in divorce. 
Yeah, there are cities and communities. We, we come from a city called New York. We go to Los Angeles, these types of cities. We have astronomical numbers. This is in America, in Europe, and so forth. In the religious community, it's significantly less. So some like to say, especially from the outside, that religion, religious people are dominated by phobias and by dogmas, and women are afraid to leave the fold. That's why there's much less divorce. That would justify, that would be a rational justification if the difference was maybe 10%, even 20%. When you have a very large difference, you have to intelligently and honestly say maybe there's other, some other factors. And I think one of the key factors is, is the institution of marriage considered sacred? If it's not considered sacred and worth sacrificing for, then by definition, 50% of the time it's not going to work out. You know, it's heads and tails. Take two Americans, a man and a woman, put them together. 50% of the time they'll get along. They won't get along. You can't expect that somebody asked me a lecture, why is divorce so rampant? I said, why not? <laughs> why not? The two separate people, they have to get along. For nine months they got along. For three years they tried to work together. And they realized it's easier the other way. What do I have to, uh, every day, get stressed out and then go to therapy and then it doesn't work and I spend all this money and then we're anyway fighting. Who needs it? Your apartment doesn't work, you change apartments. You don't like your suit, you change... A guy told me once, you don't like your suit, you change your suit. You don't like your apartment, you don't like your wife, you change your wife. So how could it not be that way? People are different. If people are different than opposites, so sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. Two pleasant, calm people who just happen to have chemistry, good. But how much time will it be chemistry? So say even 50% of the time, or 50% of the time, it won't be chemistry. So off you go. But the truth is that the chemistry could be upheld only if there's an absolute unwavering commitment to something transcendent. If that doesn't exist, and in many societies that doesn't exist, marriage is not considered a sacred value. If it's not considered a sacred value, so it's basically you and me. We're roommates. So if we loved it, great. If not, why should we be on each other's head and give each other headaches? So now we have a problem with kids. This kids, okay. So as somebody told me, because there's kids, I have to suffer my whole life and live with a roommate that I despise? So I have to work it out for my kids. But what, what, what do you want from me? You want from me I should be miserable with another person? I thought I was happy. I'm not happy. But the truth is that peace between fire and water is never taken for granted. It doesn't happen once. It's a constant struggle. They, by definition, don't exist. By definition, they can't be together. It's not an issue that, oh, you worked out your shalom bias, you're good to go. It doesn't work that way. It's a constant issue between fire and water. And the key issue with fire and water is always maintaining that commitment to the chuppah. The chuppah is the makif elyon. In other words, that which hovers above both of them and transcends them, both of them equally. And in that space, in that commitment to that reality, to that reality, when people really think about that, that commitment, that reality, the two can um, become enmeshed not enmeshed in a negative sense, but enmeshed in the sense they can become one in the fact that because we both respect this and we're both indispensable to it, therefore in that we actually become one. As we will continue even more in the next uh, section. So a chasin and a kala in sikum and summation are in many ways opposites. And therefore there's an avayda and a unique avayda very powerful avoider to bring them together. And the metaphor is one is like Mayim and one is like Aish. 
One is fire and one is water. And fire and water, by definition, are so different. And the question is how one, how one really brings them together. As Gemara in Brachas, Gemara says at the end of Brachas, if you dream about a pot, anybody here has dreams about pots? You ever see a pot in your dream? Not food, a pot. Gemara says if you see a pot in your dream, you should anticipate peace. Farshim say, Vosapas. I think I saw the Ksav Seifer writes, because the function of a pot is to make peace between fire and water. Fire and water cannot coexist. There's no way. You pour fire on top of water. I mean, you pour water on top of fire, the fire gets extinguished. Or the other way around, the water will just be in this bottle. It will, be, uh, it will evaporate. It will dry up. A pot main, retains the integrity of the fire and water, bringing each other to the table without compromising its value and its unique properties, and on the contrary, allowing each one to gain from the other. I have to cook food, so I need the heat of the fire. On the other hand, I need the water for it to be cooked in. So I take a pot, the pot is the mechitza between the mayim and the esh, it's literally a mechitza. The water stays in the pot, and the fire cannot dry it up. On the other hand, the water doesn't extinguish the fire because the pot separates between them, and the fire warms up the pot. As a result of that, the water gets heated up, and then the water can cook the food. How does, how does the fire gain from the water? It produces a third item. Together they produce the third topic. The water gains from the fire because it gets heated up, and it cooks, it, it transforms itself. can't do it without the fire. Fire cooks food. Right, but what does the fire get from the water? Able to what does the water food? get from the fire? You mean the fire just remains fire, fire under the fire. pot? Okay, in a chenami. In a chenami. In the marshal, yeah, the fire just remains fire. If the fire cares about producing food, <laughs> then the fire gains. But we're assuming that the fire couldn't care less about your meal. Right. So it's that's so he says that's because the gedera makes shalom. How do you make shalom? Dafka through a mechitza. This is an interesting idea. You cannot have peace without boundaries. If you say we're all one, imagine there's no fire, there's no water. <laughs> Pun intended. No barriers, no divisions. We're all one. So bring the fire, put it together with the water, we're all one, complete achdos, unity, everything is one, it comes from one source, everything is one, the fire and water are really different. Stop with your divisions, we're going to make a mechitza between them. What happens is, you don't create unity. It looks maybe unity for a few seconds, it's very superficial, it's not enduring, doesn't last, Why? Because diversity is inherent to the chemistry of creation. Diversity is not superimposed. Diversity is part of the fabric of existence itself. There's the concept of Havdol, of Ayavdol, Alakim, Ben Ere, Ben There's differences, there's different genders, 
Ain't the Gemara says the Mishnah says ain't they say and Shavas ain't parts of and Shavas. The Mishnah in Sanhedrin Lamedzayin that no two people think alike and no two people look alike. Kotzke Rebbe once said that the reason the Mishnah compares them both is because the fact you walk into shul and you see that somebody looks different like that looks different than you, you don't get upset at that. So you know when will your nose finally look like my nose? When will the color of your eyes reflect the color of my eyes? Why can't you be as tall as my, as short as I? On the Malamensh, on the contrary, people are happy to, you know, stand out as individuals. You want everybody to look mamish identically? So the Kotzke says, so why if somebody disagrees with you, do you get upset? The fact that his face doesn't look like you, you're fine. Adarab, we celebrate that. Everybody would look alike, it would be a very strange thing. It's enough with twins, you know. Sometimes twins, I was once at a dinner in Colorado, so uh, there was a rabbi there, his name was Rabbi Engels. He's a rabbi of the community there, in the shul there. So it was a dinner, and he has a twin brother who just looks just like he lives in Canada. So his twin brother came flow to the dinner, and they introduced the rabbi, and instead the twin brother came up. And he did this whole, they did this whole skit. They did this whole skit. He was talking as his brother, and then his brother came in. Nobody knew what hit them. They looked almost identically. So we're, we're, we're more or less content that people, people look differently. When it comes to opinions, no. So just like Ein parts of and Shavis, you don't have a problem. And they say in Shavis, you don't have a problem. So when you completely obliterate boundaries and you make believe there's no boundaries, all you do is ultimately you create a superficial unity because the moment the diversity will emerge, the moment the differences will emerge, you destroy the unity. The unity is predicated, is built upon the fact that Kevayachal were completely one. But what if that means that you're undermining diversity that is inherent to existence. So then ultimately it can't last, because as long as we're in denial of our true selves, we get along. And the moment our individuality emerges, so now we don't have the chemistry, we don't have the mechanism to create unity. That's the power of the pot. The pot understands fire is fire, water is water. Fire has to be fire, water has to be water. On the contrary, when you build a wall between them, now... They can actually unite. They can live with each other. They can enhance each other's life. The water could gain from the fire that which it doesn't have on its own. Only if there's a mechitza, you'll take away the mechitza, they'll, they'll destroy each other. Same is true with a chassan and a kaf. Sometimes a marriage is based on the idea that we're completely one. You know, it's called a honeymoon. <laughs> you go in to a relationship, we're completely one. We like doing everything exactly the same. We have the same hobbies, the same taste, the same flavor, the same ashkafa, the same approach, the same perspective, the same ashagas, and the same idiosyncrasies. And in the world, it's called, you know, romance, passion, whatever it is. And, you know, enjoy it as long as it lasts. There's a challenge. The challenge is that usually at some point, couples learn that they're different. <laughs> and they're quite different. And sometimes they're profoundly different. Because even two people of the same gender are different. Nonetheless, when you're dealing with an Isha and an Isha, which by nature, biologically, emotionally, spiritually, the Rebbeinu Shalom created profound differences, even between two, no two people are alike, no two siblings are alike, even though they carry so much of the same uh, you know, DNA, the same genes. Nonetheless, they're different. Kol Shekei people from different families, different communities, sometimes different countries, and nevertheless, when you're talking about two separate genders. So to destroy and make believe there's no diversity never works. It works short-term, and it works only if there's denial, and the moment it comes out, it can't work. So therefore, the acknowledgement of the different uh, forces 
are critical for an enduring an enduring relationship. That's why he's being madgeshe, that you're dealing with hafchem. You're dealing taka with people who are often, in many ways, they're opposites. What is the mechitza between people and God? Huh? What is the mechitza between That's the whole union of tzimtzum. The whole union of tzimtzum, that Hashem conceals His presence, the Ein Saif, in order to allow for human existence to emerge and not compromise its integrity, not just obliterate its entire identity, like we learned before about Amalek Kalaman versus Saif of Kalaman. What is that? That's basically the energy that restricts itself and limits itself in order to allow room for the emergence of identity. And that, that comes only through a tremendous symptom in the, the, in the divine source, in divine infinity. So, so one element is boundaries. But we know boundaries is not enough to create unity. <laughs> boundaries create separation. For there to be a long-term unity, you need boundaries. The expression, uh, good, na- uh, good fences good neighbors make. On every level, there's a concept of Havdalah. There's Shabbos, there's Chayil, there's me, there's you, there's a man, there's a husband, there's a wife, there's a father, there's a child, a brother, another brother, a brother, a sister, a nation, another nation. It's called Havdalah. I was learning last summer, uh, my son came home from camp early, so we were learning Mishnayis Erevin, Mishnayis Erevin. So I, uh, so somebody came into shul, Rabbi Silver from the Kailul. So he says, you're learning with your little kid, Masechta Eidevin? I never saw. So I say, I think it's good for children to learn Eidevin because it's about borders and boundaries. The Chazal were obsessed with borders and boundaries. I think it's a very good thing. And I hear later at night, my son is talking to his grandmother, my mother-in-law. So he says, my father says that it's good for me to know about borders and boundaries, and that everything has boundaries. That's why we're learning Masechta Erevin. He says it's very important for kids to know about boundaries. And it was very cute. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, when you learn halacha, you see boundaries are a very serious thing. You know, I don't want to use the word obsession, but they're very cautious, very meticulous about boundaries. Because it's very healthy. Boundaries are very, very healthy. Extremely healthy. There's your issues, there's my issues, there's my life, there's your life. Without that, what happens is a cholent that becomes very complex and very difficult. Breeding codependence and unnecessary guilt and people living other lives, they can't even help them and so forth. So that's the boundaries. But now, what is the magic of the unity? (laughs) We have good walls, okay. So we put up a wall. So you're to you. That's not a marriage. <laughs> That's the other extreme. You know, when you start worshipping boundaries, it's all, no, no, no. This is me. This is you. We're not connected. The point is, the chibur. For the chibur to happen, you need a mechitza. But what is the magic, the chemistry of unity? That's the question. That's, of course, equally important. The boundaries facilitate and allow for the unity to endure, to maintain uh, uh, longevity 
they establish uh, the system in place that doesn't compromise each person's identity, which ultimately they will come to resent if you do not nurture it. We got that. But what is the mechanism for unity? The mechanism for unity, he says, is a chuppah. A chuppah. Why? A chuppah represents makif. Makif represents something that transcends. It transcends the human being. It's above the human being. The chuppah is above the chasen and above the kala and equally above them. It's equally above them. In other words, you need to introduce a transcendent reality into the relationship, which is why halachically, alpinister, the nisuyin happens through the chuppah. The nisuyin, the ultimate marriage which creates the unity, they, they live in one home and they start, as we say, playing house together. This happens through the chuppah. Because Kiddushin halachically is betrothal, but they still live in separate homes. The time of Shas, there was 12 months between Kiddushin and Nisuyin. Like we learned, Kachena Mitzvah Yisecha, one is Kiddushin Bekesef, and then there's B, it's a separate reality. Today we do everything together. Under the same Chuppah, we do first part as Kiddushin, we do the Birchus Eresin, and he puts the ring on her finger, we take a break by reading the Ksuva, few minute break, that's why we read the Ksuva, people don't have to hear the Ksuva, it's a private contract, but that's the Hefzeh between the Eresin and the Nisuyan, and then you go to the Sheva Brachas, which is part of the Nisuyan, that's part of the Chuppah, and then there's the Yichud, which is the culmination of the Nisuyan, and then starts the party, and then uh, hopefully the party continues until they wake up, I mean, uh, until they go to sleep. So, what happens here is, you need the mechanism of Chuppah, What's the, what's, the, what's the idea of the chuppah? So the Lashon he uses here is that the idea of the chuppah is which through this because you introduce something that is transcendent of both of them so through this you need something that's called which allows them to become equal to become one, to become identical, not to, the word is not identical, but to become completely united, to become completely holistic, integrated. What's the Oyser Shalom Bimreimov Yasser Shalom Aleinu? Ayi told me once he was in the hospital, his father was ill in Manhattan, so Reb Moshe Sherer was the president of Agudas So you remember Reb Moshe Sherer? So he was there also, he himself was also ill at that time. Some a few months before he passed away, so he tells me that Moshe Shera told him that all of his years in Aguda and Haskanas taught him why Chazal, why the Minig Yisrael is, and when you go back Oisa Shalom, right? So you go Oisa Shalom b'Mraimov. So you bend your head to the left and then to the right and then to the middle. He says there's no way of making Shalom b'Chlal. The only way of making Shalom is Abyssal links, Abyssal rechts. <laughs> you got to go a little left, then you got to go a little right, and then you got to go in the middle. He says, that's the only way to make shalom. All the other ways don't work. Okay, so that's a very, uh, that's an Askin speaking after 50 years, you know, uh, 50 years of diplomacy between various fractions of Orthodox Jewry. So I can appreciate what Moshe Sherer said, and he was a, he was a fifika Askin, he was a, uh, a shrewd Askin. He, he knew the world of Askanas very well. But here we're introduced to, to a deeper element of shalom. In other words, what he's saying is you need the art of compromise. Which everybody understands. 
And it's of course true, no marriage works without compromise. If he's going to be stubborn in his ways and she's going to be stubborn in her ways, there's no way that everyone has to yield. You give in, you surrender. One person likes to light on at night and one person likes to light off at night. And half couple, couples fight about this, some of them for 60 years. Light on, light off, light on, light off. Some want the Venetian blinds open because they like to live in uninhibitedness. And some, the moment uh, Shkia Sachama is approaching, already six hours before Shkia, the, the light has to be, the, the, the house has to be completely eclipsed. Everything, uh, all the Venetian blinds down, all the curtains closed in this. Okay, so go, are you know, so you're gonna, this, these are people's natures, it has to do with a lot of different things. So you give in, you give in here, you give in there, and functional people could compromise. You can't be an action. If you're a, st- a stubborn person, it's not going to work. But this is, again, all things that avoid machlaikas. Here he wants to introduce something much deeper. What's the magic of unity? That's the question. We're not dealing with the surmeira of avoiding conflict. You need all these things to avoid conflict. You have to compromise, and you have to have boundaries. But what's the magic of unity? That's the shayla. That's a little more difficult. <laughs> That's a little more difficult. How do you create the chemistry of oneness? For this, the Balatanya argues, one has to introduce a reality that transcends both the Chassid and the Kala and transcends them equally. And physically, it's manifested in the Chuppah. Al-Kol Kovet Chuppah. Al-Kol Kovet Chuppah means Kovet Chassid and Kovet Kala. On both of them, there's a Chuppah that transcends Kovet Chassid and Kovet Kala. And therefore, because it transcends them, Ultimately, it could unite them. Oyster Shalom Bim How does this work? Malach Michal and Malach Gavriel are two opposites. One is a Sar Shalmayim and a Sar Shalesh. All the pot does is, the pot is a good politician. Right? Again, it avoids conflict. The pot says, you stand here, and you stand there. My brother told me he was doing a funeral. He was officiating at a funeral. And they come to the cave and he sees on one side one group of people, on the other side is another group of people. He understood that there's no shalom bias here. Yeah? And the mother, the widow, is standing in the middle. <laughs> so he asks everything, all right, what's going on? So she says, according to Jewish law, are you allowed to do two funerals? He says, why should we do two funerals? That's because my two sons are not speaking to each other for 25 years. It's not going to work together. So could we do one funeral first? And then we'll do a second funeral. So he decided at that moment to invent a new halacha for the sake of uh, Gadol HaShalom. And he said, in fact, according to Jewish law, you can't even do one funeral if the, if the siblings are not together. So what we'll have to do is we'll have to wait until the siblings get together, then we could do one funeral. So the mother went over and started to scream at her kids, you guys are going to embarrass your father. His body is going to stay here smelling for two years until you guys get along. Why don't you come together and nothing will happen. You could say a few words to each other. So they came together and they spoke to each other a few words and they, uh, they made a levaya. The mechanism here is you have mechol, sarshal mayim, and sarshalesh. It's different personalities, different dispositions, different characteristics. How do they make shalom? They make shalom because it's oise shalom b'mroimov. And that's why hu yase shalom alein of al The conflict between the two exists only when they're outside of the domain of the king. When they enter into the domain of the king, over there they're at peace. The Malatanya says elsewhere, 
you have a Sarha Pnim and a Sarha Chutz, as in Israel they would call it. Sarha Chutz is the foreign minister. Sarha Pnim is the interior minister. In other words, the one who's in charge on the Pnim, not on the Chutz. It's very different concepts. You have the Joint Chief of Staff, you have the Defense Minister, he's thinking about war. He's thinking about conflict. And then you have, right, Sarha Tarbut or Sarha Chinuch, culture, education. If you're thinking about war, then you're not doing your job. His whole idea has to be thinking about, you know, fostering the communities and building it up in terms of education, culture. The same is true uh, whether you're dealing with Kalkala, economics over there. The focus is on, on positivity and growth. Sometimes by personality, the two are completely different. Malatanya says, a marshal, when they both, in the times of monarchy, this is his age, it was complete monarchy, it was no democracy. Uh, America was far away. Russia was a real um, uh, monarchy, the czar. So uh, you, he says, when they both go into the king, they make shalom. What's the word? It's not just fear. We're talking about a deeper idea. The difference of personality is very profound. I am I and you are you. And we may not get along, or at least we may have many, many differences. This is where Saif of Kalalman comes in. And here we go back to the discussion of Mamali and Saif. And Mamali Kalalman is God the way it allows for identity. Individuality comes from Hashem. Hashem created me to be me, not you. I have an energy that creates my psyche, my soul, my heart, my disposition, my, and you have yours. Similarities, of course, similarities. The whole world is similar. <laughs> It's ultimately from one source, but there are slight differences that are not so slight. They sometimes become very significant. Just study history and you see how much violence, how much conflict and so forth. Whether it's perceived or it's real, or part of it is perceived, part of it is real. But then there's something called Seif of Kalam. And what's Seif of Kalam? And remember we learned in the previous Mayimir, when was it? Bamidbar. Hashava Omash Vakatan Vagadu. There's the divine energy that ultimately encompasses the whole universe. And encompasses the whole universe completely as one. Everything there is one. Why is everything one? Because here is the question of life. The question of life is whether it's about me, it's about me, or whether it's about fulfilling my purpose. One question, one way of looking at it is it's about me my needs, my comforts. One, another point, another way of looking at it is about fulfilling my purpose. When the Sar HaPnim and the Sar HaChutz enter the domain of their king, the leader, what's felt by them is not their individual identity in and of itself, but rather that they are both here to fulfill the will of the king. If they're both here to fulfill the will of the king, then they're completely one. Their oneness may express itself in opposite manifestations. My job is PR with the world, and my job is completely internal. Our jobs, the software may be diametrically opposed, but the hardware, the core, we're completely one. We are both fulfilling the mission of the king. We say in Kale Adain, what do we say in Kehladen? Malayim zivim fikim nega smechim betseisam v'sasim bevoyam. The luminaries, the planets, are happy to emerge, and they're equally happy to retire. What do you mean? Which one do you like? Do you love going to work or do you love coming home? I know people who love leaving the house. They love going to work. Coming home at night, they dread. They'd rather be in the office till after tikkun chatzos. 
Mairiv, Dafyoimi, Shir here, at least not to come home. Other people, they love staying home. They don't like going anywhere. There's a guy in Rabbi Rottenberg Shul, after you finish Shachas, he always says, take the rest of the day off. That's his daily line. Take the rest of the day off. There's people who love that. The Gabbai over there. But what, how can you be smechim betzeisim besasim bevayam? If you like life outside, so you like that, the answer is oisim be'ema ritzayin kaina. If the focus is me, so then the question is, this is for me, this is not for me, this I like, this I don't like. The moment they realize ritzayin kainam, their objective is to fulfill ritzayin kainam. So then if Hashem wants me to go out, I'm happy to go out. If He wants me to go in, I'm happy to go in. As long as the two ministers only focus on themselves, of course there's contention. They're opposite in every way. Their job is opposite, their personality is opposite, their disposition is opposite. The moment they realize that the Melech wants both, so then they're one. They're doing the Ratzon HaMelech. They're doing the same thing. How they're doing it? Oh, completely opposite ways. A husband and a wife, that's the key. As long as the husband and the wife is me, you. Oh, I like this, I like this, I want to go here on vacation, I want this, I want this family. Everyone, they're so different. It becomes a source of contention. Boundaries are her, boundaries are him. Boundaries don't create unity. Boundaries just maintain that you should be you, you should be. But there's something deeper. That's the chuppah. The chuppah is you introduce a makif. Makif means you introduce a reality that transcends the individual, individual ego of each of them. A place where both of them, in his Lashon is, Yisbatlum emetziusam v'yuchul l'shtav v'syam. Yisbatlum doesn't mean they become doormats. Yisbatlum emetziusam means they recognize that the function of life is, we're here to serve Hashem. We're here to change the world. We're here to create something. Call it a marriage, call it a home, call it a family, call it a nisuyin, call it a binyan adeyad. There is something sacred, divine. There's a mission that we are here to do, and we're doing it together. Now, we're Mamash one. We're the same thing. We are both and we're exactly identical. Here they become completely one. Why? Because they transcended the individuality of their ego. They opened themselves up to a force that's beyond them. Therefore, they're completely one. Now, they can go back into their individual selves and not see it anymore as contentious because I am fulfilling this plan through my path and you're fulfilling it through your path. So now the differences are really one because it's just a hechetimtza of how to be mamale that rotsen. Vizel. Vizel keitzad meraktin lifnei hakala. This will explain the diok in the Lashon of Chazal. How do you dance before the Kala? So literally, Lifne means before the Kala. How do you dance in front of the Kala? The Gemara says, Ketzad Merakdin Lifne Akala. Beishamai says, Kala Kamay Shehi. Beishilah says, Kala Nova Chasuda. But Pirush Lifne Akala also means Lamailam in Akala. Lifne means in front, but Lifne also means beyond, before, above the Kala. Here we go back to the same theme. A chosin and a kala, by definition, you're dealing with opposites. You're dealing with two people who are very different. And by nature they're different, biologically, emotionally, spiritually. How can you create real unity, real synthesis between 
a husband and a wife between a groom and a bride. So he says, We explained that in order to create the synthesis between, you need the chuppah which represents a reality, a light, a force that transcends equally both of them. And because it transcends them both, it could unite them both. In simple words, as long as the chasen and kala are focusing only on their individual personalities, then there's often room for contention because I am I and you are so different than me. You are you and I am so different than you. However, when the chasen and the kala can acknowledge that basically both of their objective is what? To fulfill the purpose of what Hashem wants, to fulfill the Ratz and Hashem, so then they are one. They're, do, they're exactly the same. They're both vehicles, they're both channels and instruments to fulfill God's will. The question is only how. So he does it through him being him, and she does it through her being her. But really, that is all, the differences between them become external, because they're really one. They're both doing the same thing. They're fulfilling God's will. I do it through my personality, through my life. You do it through your life. And now our differences don't become a source of contention. They become an asset. Because in order to fulfill the will, you need different abilities. You need different things to happen. Different functionalities, different uh, skills, different resources, and different natures. Right? Just like for a country to run, the two sons, the Malach Michal and Malach Gavriel, although they may be two opposites, but in the presence of the king, what do they feel? They feel that our objective is what? We're not parrot, we're not really a contradiction to each other, because our objective is to fulfill, our union is to fulfill the Ratzin of the king, so we're identical. We're completely united. We're absolutely one. How are we one? We're one by being different. Because that's what the king needs. The king needs us to be different in order to fulfill the purpose. So for this, you need to introduce something that's beyond the chasm. Something that's beyond the kawa. Because as long as they remain focused in their own orbit, so to speak, they are egocentric. Egocentric means it becomes about me and my own individual ego. It's very hard ultimately to connect with somebody else. And connect in a very profound way. You've got to go to a place that's beyond the Kala. Higher than the Kala. That's the Makif. That's the Chuppah. In the terminology of Chassidus, it's Soiv of Kalalma. That which transcends the worlds. That which transcends the worlds. It's the overarching energy that encompasses both of them in an identical fashion. Why does it encompass both of them in an identical fashion? Because they're both committed to that single value. And here they're one, and here they're one. So how do you do that? How do you get to Lifne HaKala? That's the Lashen Lifne HaKala. That's why he says, how do you dance? For this you have to dance. To get Lifne HaKala, for this you have to dance. I should mention that Dr. Lamb mentioned to me after the shear that one of the world-renowned experts on marriage relationships is a man named Dr. Gottman, right? John Gottman. I think he wrote maybe 10 or 15 books on the subject, maybe more. And he is a therapist, a psychologist. He's probably seen hundreds, maybe even thousands of couples over four decades. So uh, he's always searching for the common denominator. 
In other words, when a couple comes into therapy, is there a way of determining that it's going to be successful or it's going to be a failure? What, is there a common denominator between couples who stick it out and couples who ultimately decide to separate and get divorced? Or it's just, you know, every person is different. Temperament, disposition, upbringing, issues, uh, chemistry, and so forth. And after 40 years of research, according to our house, uh, in-house therapist here, uh, after 40 years of research, he came to the conclusion that for a couple to endure a marriage successfully, and even if there's challenges, you know, to go through the therapy and hold it together, he realized there's two qualities that are intrinsic, that are necessary. If they have those two qualities, it can work. If not, it will usually not work. The two qualities is, number one, that uh, they accept that there is something called a subjective reality of the other person. In other words, your reality is not my reality. Reality is not just objective, it's subjective. You see life, you experience life in your way, I may experience life in my way. And that, I can give validity to that. If I don't have that ability, it's not going to work, it's going to plot. That's number one. Key number two is they have to have a shared value, a shared transcendent value in life. So this took him 40 years, and here you have it in three and a half, three and a half lines. First thing he says is, you're dealing with opposites. If you can't accept that, if you think it's just one thing, you're dealing with opposites. Dealing with opposites means water sees the world one way, fire sees the world another way. It's just how it is. If the water cannot accept that fire operates in a different way, there's no way water can live with fire. The same is true with the fire towards the water. And you have to really be able to embrace that and validate that and respect. But that's not enough. As we said yesterday, you know, that's good for boundaries. The second Nekudah, he says you need a chuppah. You need to have a sheared value. You have to have an unwavering commitment to something that transcends your own individual orbit. Whatever that is, here it's called the concept of Soiv of Kalam, and it's basically that which goes beyond the individual properties of the person. Not that individuality doesn't matter. On the contrary, the individual properties are then enhanced because they're seen in the context of implementing that value. So then it becomes an asset. Differences then become an asset rather than a source of contention. Because if we're different than each other, so does that drive you crazy that I'm different than you? Or actually it makes you excited? Depends. If all you're looking for is somebody who looks like you and does everything like you, it can get you very annoyed and frustrated to the point where you're always fighting and arguing. But if you understand, as we said, if there's an akud of ritzayin kainam here, if there's a value that guides them both, that navigates them both, then on the contrary, then if the ritzayin kainam now is to go out, so you're happy to go out. If ritzayin kainam is to go in, you're happy to go in. Then the paradoxes become actually a source of unity rather than a source of contention because by me being me and you being you, we can both implement the Ratz and Hashem, in the way that we implement it. So how do you reach this point? For this you have to dance. Why do you have to dance? So he says, Dancing is done with the legs, with the feet, and that's the key. This experience of Lifne Akali you can't reach with your mind. You can't even reach it with your hands, with your heart. You can't, it's not cerebral and it's not even emotive. Not even with your hands, with action. For this, you have to go down all the way to the bottom, to the legs, to the feet. 
Meaning, Pchinas Mamale Kalalman. On a level of Mamale Kalalman, you're dealing with the lowest level. Remember, Mamale Kalalman represents the energy that is restricted and divisible and custom-made to every individual according to his or her chemistry and capacity. Just like in the body. The chius that the nefesh gives to the brain is not the same chius that it gives to the nose, that it gives to the heart, and then that it gives to the feet. The feet have a unique physical makeup that is designed by Hashem in a way that it should be able to fulfill its functionality, which is very different than the functionality of the heart or the kidney or the liver or the pancreas or the abdomen, the digestive system, etc. And in sense, obviously Rav Nassim says that the Akev, the heel, is called Malach HaMavis Sheba Adam. Why? Because the doctors here will know, will be able to explain to us that the blood circulation, let's say a person with diabetes who suffers from bad blood circulation, the first part of the body that will be affected will be the feet. Because the blood circulation on a good day is poor. So therefore, if there's chas v'shalem, a disease or a problem, an infection, that will be affected first. Obviously, Reb Nossin says it's called the malach hamavish In other words, it's a place where there's less life, there's more death. So in terms of energy and consciousness and vitality, it's the lowest level, just like physically, it's the lowest part of the human body. So, but nimshach melmailem ebchines chitzoni es hamakif soiviv kalal. But what happens is it captures the external the externalities of makif, that which of which transcend which is soiv of kalalman kipnimiyis ef shelahachal, because you cannot contain soiv of kalalman in an internalized way, because that which you contain in an internalized way is that which you wrap your consciousness around, but that which you wrap your consciousness around can only be mamalik kalalman, not soiv of kalalman. Soiv of kalalman is infinite; it's transcendent. How do you channel Saiv of Kalaman? For this you have to dance. For this you have to dance. In other words, the other limbs and organs which process things through an internalized fashion, meaning I get it, I analyze it, I dissect it, I feel it. This can relate to the energy of a Kalaman. But Saiv of Kalaman, this a person cannot contain in an internalized way, because you're dealing with something transcendent. So what's the keli? What's the vessel for Saiv of Kalalman? Dancing. Because dancing on one level looks like a very, uh, so to speak, it's an action that's far less sophisticated than analysis. That's why some people are very uncomfortable dancing, right? Because dancing is really a very vulnerable thing. You ever see people at chasanas, how awkward they are to dance? It takes a lot of depth to really dance without self-conscious. People get very, very self-conscious when they dance. Because it's a vulnerable thing. The same person could sit and learn a sugya and steiger way. It works, because somehow it fits in with his character. But dancing is really a very vulnerable thing. It's really, unless people who practice for years how to dance, and then the chasana is just a, it's a circus. It's show. So they're also, they're even more self-conscious, because they're just displaying certain skills and talents. But real dancing, a real dance that he's describing here is a place where you lose yourself completely. You lose yourself. That's the beauty of dancing. And because you lose yourself, you tune into Saiv of Kalalman. So what a chasan and a kala need most at a wedding is, they got to dance. Talking, you don't lose yourself. On the contrary, you explain things. Thinking, you don't lose yourself. Even emotions, you don't lose yourself. You're feeling. But where, do you, where does one lose themselves most? So to speak, the lowest, least sophisticated part of the body is... The feet, 
There's no great analysis or intellectual prowess or sophistication, whether emotional or cognitive. It's l'chayre, the simplest part. A behemoth can also dance, a chayah can also dance. A chayah can't give a shir, a behemoth can't give a shir. But dancing, jumping around, they do better than us. They can jump around better than us. Look at the monkeys, look at the apes, look at the deer this morning. So precisely, Rikud captures Saiv of Kalaman. Why does it capture Saiv of Kalaman? Because precisely that's what it is. You have to, uh, um, uh, uh, you lose. Real dancing is the loss of self consciousness. You let go. And that's why to reach Lifna Akala, you need Rikud. You need a dance. Huh? Saiv. That's the whole point. Chupa. Saiv of Kalaman. Huh? Because of my mother bomb, right. No, she's not saying that the red line is because they're the most external part of the body in contact with what's outside the body. It's related more to the liquid action, not the feet right. per se being the most right. peripheral parts of your body. Right. It's the lowest level of the goof. In other words, in Mamala Kalalman, so but over there, Nimshach, Lamaila, Pchinis, Hitsayne, Samak of Sevo Kalam, Tafke there, keep Nimius Ef Shalahachem. The Pnimius of Sevo Kalalman. The body won't contain, and also Pnimius, the Evarim Pnimim won't contain Sevo Kalalman. Tafke de Raglayim, right? Which is an Indian Hitsayne, Legabe, the other Evarim of the Guf. Over there, you'll have a Gili of Sevo Kalalman. So that's why at the chasana, what they need more than anything else is the dance. The ability to be able, what's a real dance? A real dance is where you surrender. You let go. You let go. And because you let go, you just dance away. And in that dancing, there is a certain reflection of a transcendent energy that is beyond self-consciousness. This is the reason why a chasana, there's a covered honor. That is given to the chassan and kala. What do you do? At a chassan and a kala, what do you do at a wedding? You lift up the chassan and the kala. Now we all know at weddings, you take the chassan, they put them on the shoulders, they put them on a chair, they put them on the table, the same with the kala. So we always look at it and we say, you know, this is what you do at a chassan. But the Balatanya sees in this a very profound spiritual aspect as a prerequisite for the entire marriage. When you lift up a chasen and a kala at a wedding, you're not stam having fun. This is the key to the marriage. The key to the marriage is you're telling the chasen and kala, you want to have a good marriage, you can't stay on the floor. <laughs> you can't stay on the floor. You have to lift yourself up. And we do this for them. At the chasen, we lift them up to a higher place, which represents spiritually to a state of Saibab Kalam, which is called Makif, because there, that is where the oneness is going to come. As long as they remain focused only on their earthbound terrestrial identity, meaning, I have my ego and my Meshagas and my personality and you have yours, by definition there will constantly be reasons for contention, for conflict, and sometimes for <coughs> severe conflict. This already depends on everybody's personality and chemistry. But if at every point you can elevate yourself to a state of makif, what does it mean? To be able to see yourself in the context of a larger picture, a larger vision, 
a larger cause, which brings you together and in which you are absolutely one, because you're both individually facilitating and implementing that vision, that value. And in that value, you're both connected. Then, you're always one. So at the wedding, we lift up, we pick up the chasen and kaleh, so to speak, from the state of pnimi to the state of makif, to the state of the chuppah. What does makif mean? Makif means something that's around you. But spiritually, what does makif mean? Makif means not something that is relating to you as an individually different than everybody else. That's, that's a special, unique thing. But this is the nekuda that surrounds both of you. In other words, it's an energy that encompasses both of you in an identical fashion. That is the idea of lifting up the chasen and the kala. This is what the Pasuk says in, in, uh, in Ashrei, in Tehillim. Tzadik Hashem b'chol drachav. Hashem is a tzadik in all of his ways. B'chosit b'chol ma'asav shul b'chines. Hishchabrus shalom b'pamalya shalmayla or b'pamalya shalmata. Um, uh, this is the, the, the unity. The Gemara says that there is shalom b'pamalya shalmayla creating peace in the heavenly pamalya, in the heavenly yeshiva, in the heavenly group. And the shalom b'pamalya shalmata in the in the pamalya shalmata in the lower group. So this is the tzaddik Hashem bechol derachav in all of his ways to create shalom b'pamalya shalmayla in the yeshiva shalmayla oyser shalom b'mreino and b'pamalya shalmata and b'pamalya shalmata. How can you create this? How can you create this? You create this by integrating, integrating bechol derachav by integrating the mark of the side of kalalman which can create peace both between Malach Mechol and Malach Avriel, even though one is a Sar Shalmayim and Sar Shalesh, and the way it's manifested down here also in the Chassin and the Kala, in the Chassin and the Kala Lamata. Just <coughs> an interesting anecdote, and that is there's a tradition by Hasidim, and it's a well-recorded tradition, that when the Balatanya finished this Maimer, and he finished these words, Sadiq Hashem Shamata, he said, he said uh, his lashon was that Eibushter is tzaddik l'mayla, or Rebbe Yitzchak Baditchever is tzaddik l'mata. Remember, this was at the chasana of the grandchild of Rebbe Yitzchak Baditchever with his own grandchild, known as the Zlobin Chasana. So, uh, so he finished the Maim, He said tzaddik Hashem bechal drachav. He says tzaddik l'mayla. That Eibushter tzaddik l'mata, Rebbe Yitzchak Baditchever. He said about his mechut, and that's how he finished the mimer. The writer didn't put it into the mimer because, so to speak, it was a uh, spontaneous uh, flow of consciousness. I mean, the whole mind was a spontaneous flow of consciousness, but uh, but this was a unique expression that he said about his mechut. And after this, so you have the pamalya shamayla and the pamalya shamata. So now we have in summation, what do we have here in summary? This second half is connected to the first half of the Maimer. Why is it connected to the first half of the Maimer? We have the Machloikas of Beshameh and Besillo, Ketzad Merakta Lifne Hakala, which he started off not speaking about a Chosen and a Kala. He started to speak about a Jew and Hashem. How do you bring out the Avas Hashem that exists in every single Jew, even somebody who seems lowly, alienated, a Balavera? A Jew who doesn't care is always in a state of kal. He's always in a state of klois anefesh Hashem. The question is if it's conscious or unconscious. If he's aware of it or he's not aware of it, if he's cognitive, cognizant of it or not cognizant of it, ketzad merakten lifnei How do you bring it out? How do you dance and bring it out? So Beishamai had one derech and Beisil had another derech, 
But Shammai has a derech kala kamoi Every kala the way she is, according to her avoida, that is how much she can experience her kala, basically, as much as she can weed out the negativity, that is how much she can bring out the positivity. And Basil says, no, kala nava You don't start with surmeira and wait till you get rid of the ra in order to reveal the ruchniyas, but you start immediately with oil, with positivity, with asay toiv, and that's how you bring out that's how you bring out the state of the state of the kala. That's how you bring it out. Now, you know, on Shabbos, boyer is also. You're not allowed to do boyer. You're not allowed to select the bad from the good. If I have a salad, I don't like onions. I'm not allowed to take the onions out of the salad because I want to eat the rest of the salad. But you could do on Shabbos is oichel metoch psoilus. If I don't like the onions, I could take out the tomato as long as I do it with my hand as long as I uh, don't do it with a keli, and as long as I do the good from the bad, and as long as I eat it right away. Why? Because that's derech achilat. I, I can eat what I want. There's no chiv on Shabbos to eat what I don't want. I'm taking the tomatoes to take out the onions not. In a way, that's the difference. Shammai says, Avoides Hashem is boirir psoilus metech oichel. Beishilil says, it's boirir oichel metech psoilus. Beishamai says, you focus at the psoilus, and you get rid of the psoilus. You get rid of the dirt, you get rid of the filth. Basil says, no, don't look at the psalis. Look at the oichel and, and focus on that. Bring it out. Ah, you have a lot of dirt? Don't worry. Don't wait till you get rid of the dirt. Be It's interesting, everything in Nigla and Nista, they match. So we're learning now, if you're allowed to be, if you're allowed to go to the mikvah on Shabbos and Yom Tif, Right? Beishamai says, you're not allowed to go to the mikvah on Shabbos and Yom Tif, a person. And Basil says, you're allowed to go to the mikvah on Shabbos and Yom Tif. So there's different reasons. One of the reasons is because Nirikim is Sakin. Beishamai says, you go to the mikveh, it looks like you're fixing something. You go to Shabbos, it looks like you're fixing something. Beishil said, it's not Nirikim is Sakin, it's Nirikim Meka, you're just doing it for enjoyment, you're doing it to cool off. So it's not a problem. You're not being Masakin yourself. What's the difference? This is the difference. <laughs> on Shabbos, Boyer is Asr. According to Beishil, the concept of Tari is what? You focus on the Psoilus. Of course it's Nirikim is You don't do that on Shabbos and Yom Tov. But according to Beis Hillel, no, it's Nidikamekar. It's an enjoyable thing. It's, it's, you're focusing on the, on the good. You're not, focusing, uh, you're not focusing on the neg- on the negative. You're not focusing on the negative. It's a whole different experience. Um, there's, uh, there was a Yid, his name was Reb Chaim Fiston. He was a Bambayis by the Shpolo Zaid. He wrote a Sefer Tois for Chaim. So he says he was one by the Shpolo Zaid, who was a friend of the Balatanya. He's older than him. And he was in his house, and the Balatai, the Shvalo tells him, Her, Her, my kind, he writes this in his book, Her, my kind, listen to my child, if you're not going to sweep up the house from dirt, you can't bring in nice things. You first have to get rid of all the ra in order to do Asay Toiv. And without that, your Asay Toiv would be like planting a field on thorns. If you have weeds and thorns in the earth, you can plant from today till tomorrow, it's not going to work because it's full of thorns. So he's, later, he, he writes, he came to the Balatanya. So he told them all what the Shpola Zaydah says. So the, Shpola, the, the Balatanya said, he, Das is Midas Beishamai. He's right. Das is Shittas Beishamai. Uh, but by Yons is Shittas Beishilol. <laughs> by us is Shittas Beishilol. So this Maimah explains that. But he writes, Tama Baisa. But this Maimah gives up Saholam Taka. So yesterday, somebody phoned me. He heard the, he the Shiurim on the, on the online. And uh, he's in recovery. He's an addict, very heavy addict for many years an addict, and now in recovery for quite a few years. So he told me that uh, in recovery you have to go Shittas Beishamai. You have to go Shittas Beishamai because if you ignore it, the disease is so deep 
that if you ignore it, it's not working. You talk a planting on thorns. You can't just say, oh, all is good, I'm good. You have to focus on, on the Ra. That's why we, and it's a very stark in the Kud, because it's in the Kud. And yet, and yet he said, but another, and you always have to have the Ashkafa of Vesilaloso. Because uh, both of them are moida, that there's an essential goodness in the person. The question is how to access it. And both are moida, that even in the space of toxicity, the goodness is not compromised. In other words, there's nothing you can do to destroy your goodness and wholesomeness. Your well-being is always there. The question is how deeply embedded and concealed it is. Beishamai says in order to get to it, you have to work through the dissect and work through the filth. You've got to clean it up. You've got to acknowledge it. You've got to work with it. You've got to weed it out. You've got to fight it. You've got to uproot it. You know, a person is full of lies and deception and, and uh, deception and all that. They're not even in a state where they could focus on, they could focus on toif. Here by Shama is of course right. You have to be able to challenge the Ra. But on the other hand, what Basilil is saying is even in that itself, you know, you have to know who you are and what the situation is, that you have to be careful because if you only focus on that, you could get stuck on that. And you may never get to the next stage. So you always have to have the ability to, to tune in at any point to the earth. But both are moida that there's a light that always exists. Now that light is soiv of Kalalman. Why? Because as he said earlier, there's a certain toiv in you that Ra cannot obliterate. Mamala Kalalman is tailored to your consciousness, so you can play games with it. Saiv of Kalalman is a place that connects you to infinity that you didn't create, and therefore you can't destroy. You don't facilitate it, and therefore you can't obliterate it. Even in a good day, you're not a keli for it. So in a bad day, you don't obstruct it. So that's the connection between the first half of the Maimon and the second half of the Maimon. Because the way to tune into that core of goodness is your makif, your own makif. Your own higher self. You remember we spoke from the Apter of Hazinu Hashamayim. Your own higher self. Everyone is moida that you need that. The question is how you get there. How you get there. So that's why when he goes in the second half of the Maimon to the Chassan and Kala, biologically, physically, he's also referring to the Chassan and Kala in the beginning of the Maimon, that in order to create the unity between the Neshama and Hashem, you need to get to your place of Makif, your place of Saib of Kalalman, which is Lifne HaKala. It's just the way he's expressing it in the second half of the Maimon is through a marshal of a chasen and a kala down here. That in order for them to connect, they have to realize that they're opposites. Just like the Jew and Hashem are in this world often strangers. And what you need to find is your own makif, your own saiviv. This is ketzad merakt and lifnei akala, through which the two are connected. And for this you need a chuppah, which represents the chasen and kala transcending their individual egos and sharing that which unites them as one, and when you have that, they can really become one completely, and that's facilitated through dancing. Because only in dancing does one reach a place of Saibu Kalalman beyond the Malakalalman, and that's why the Chasana is dancing, and that's why the Chasana, the Chasana and Kala are always uplifted to a higher plane, which is the key to their synthesis and unity. This class is brought to you by the Yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.